In the book of Philemon, we find a short discussion by Paul on his prayer for Philemon. And at first glance, when you look at the prayer in the book of Philemon, which is found in verses 4-7, through it doesn't seem that important or that instructive until we fold in the context of what Paul is dealing with in the entire letter of the book of Philemon. What I'd like to do this morning is 25 verses long. I'd like to start out by reading the entire book with you as you follow along. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, my brother, because of the hearts of um, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to commend you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Anesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be uh, by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you, as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your, your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At, that same at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus sends greeting to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits. So our, our text is in verses 4 through 7, um, where it's primarily, as we talked about last week, we have a discussion of what Paul prays for with regard to, in this case, Philemon. Um, and an explanation for why he prays that way. I guess in our little mini-study we could argue, since we're certainly not doing a, if I use the term, a practical how-to of prayer, if you take a book off a shelf in a, in a bookstore or, or a Christian library, you'll find most of the writings on prayer are going to be practical how-tos. 
and they'll give you all sorts of ideas on practical how-tos. And frankly, my view on a study of prayer needs to be more—it needs to be more on the focus on what is the theology of prayer, what's the purpose, what's the goal, why, why pray, what should we be praying about? As in, not practical how-tos, but theologically speaking, which is what we've been looking at these last couple of weeks. We're going to see that more here today. It's interesting, though, is if you don't know the book of Philemon that well. It's interesting to notice, first of all, Paul mentions that he's in prison. It's important to remember that. He mentions a number of people, most of whom I will not mention at all this morning. But he mentions a couple of people that are interesting. First, obviously, he mentions Philemon. That's the recipient of the letter. It's the person Paul is praying for. But he also mentions another main character. All the rest of the characters are really quite peripheral. For the book. But with regard to the book, there's one other main character, and that's Onesimus. And uh, Paul brings Onesimus up um, in uh, verse 8 and following. Actually, it's more 10 and following. And the general appeal of the letter is Paul would like Philemon to welcome Onesimus back. Well, back from what is the question? Well, if you read carefully the text, you find out that Onesimus is one of Philemon's bondservants. He may be the only one. He may be one of many. We don't know. But he's a bondservant of, um, of Philemon. What that means, a bondservant, is that, that Onesimus basically has given his life to be in servitude to Philemon for his entire life. Something arose in Onesimus' thinking, we don't know what it was, but what happened is that Onesimus ran away. Now that's a serious thing in Paul's day. If you ran away, and the owner, because bonser is another way to describe a slave, if the owner finds you, the owner has the right to, guess what? Kill you. His absolute right in Roman law to kill you because your property. He can do what he wants to with his property. If he's caught, he is sent back to the owner for the purpose, if the owner chooses once again, to kill him. Now, the owner could be gracious and put him back into servitude. Oftentimes, that was not the case. Oftentimes, most times, the bond servant would be killed. Well, it's interesting in the storyline is that most likely for, after Onesimus ran away from Philemon, somewhere along the line of, being, of running away, he got caught. So it seems like it was anyway. He got caught. Not caught for being a runaway, but probably broke the law. And it makes sense. If you really think it through, if you're a bond slave in Roman days and you run away, what do you run away with? Nothing. All you have is the ragged clothes you have on your back, probably. That's it. You have nothing. You are absolutely dependent upon the owner. So most likely what happened was Onesimus ran away, and as he ran away, he was probably stealing to survive. Somewhere along the line he got caught. I'm, I'm just guessing, but it makes sense. He's probably stealing, and then as he's running, he gets caught. When he gets caught, he gets thrown in prison. When he gets thrown in prison, he has an interesting cellmate. 
Who's his cellmate? Paul. And Paul is looking at this gentleman who's been thrown into prison, and he begins to tell him about Jesus. And lo and behold, Onesimus begins to listen by the movement of the Spirit in his life, and eventually Onesimus repents of his sins and trusts Christ and is, 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 is gloriously redeemed. Paul's relationship with Onesimus grows because now everything changes as these co-prisoners together. He is ministering to him and teaching him about Jesus, his Redeemer. He's teaching him about the beauty of a relationship with Christ the beauty of what Christ has accomplished and is accomplishing in his life. And lo and behold, slowly but surely, it seems like Onesimus is growing and changing. And one day, somewhere along the line, Onesimus turns to Paul. And he says, I have something to tell you. And Paul says, what's that? And Onesimus says, um, I'm a runaway slave. Now that's Huge. He's in prison, which means the, the Roman guards, the Roman judges, don't know who he is. Nobody knows he's a runaway slave. Because he would not be in prison if he's a runaway slave. He'd be automatically returned to his owner. So most likely, somewhere along the line, Onesimus turns to Paul and says, Paul, i I got something to tell you. Now, put yourself in Onesimus' shoes. For Onesimus to admit to anyone that he is a runaway slave is almost certain death. But Christ has transformed his heart. Does that make sense? Christ is transforming him. Now think about it. If you're a prisoner and there is another prisoner in your cell and that prisoner admits to you that he's a runaway slave, if you go and tell the prison guard, this guy's a runaway slave, he just confessed, you think that's going to help you in prison? Oh my goodness, yes. There's no loyalty in prison. But there's a transformation in Onesimus' life. And there's a bond between Paul, a spiritual bond by the Spirit between Paul and Onesimus. And so somewhere along the line, Onesimus turns to Paul and says, I need to tell you something, I'm a runaway slave. And Paul most likely said, Where'd you come from? And he told him where he came from. And Paul most likely said, Oh, I know someone who lives there. Maybe they can help out. And Onesimus, can you hear it? Onesimus says to Paul, Who do you know in, in that town? And Paul says, Why? Well, I, I know this guy by the name of Philemon. <laughs> Can you imagine Onesimus' jaw hitting the bottom of the cell? <laughs> because that's who he's run away from. And Onesimus turns to Paul and says, um, I'm his bondservant, and I ran away from him. What an amazing discussion that must have been. Out of all the discussions of the scriptures, I would have loved to have been a fly in the wall in this one. To hear that whole discussion. And how it all developed. And Paul says, most likely says to Onesimus, I'm going to write a letter for you. Because it seems like Onesimus is about to be freed for whatever crime he's committed. And so Paul is sending 
Onesimus back to Philemon with the letter. He's the carrier of the letter from Paul to Philemon. Paul doesn't go and tell the tell the um, the Roman guards. He doesn't tell a Roman judge. Doesn't tell anybody because this is between brother and brother now because Onesimus is a believer. So he's going to send Onesimus back, trusting that God is at work in him. Talk about it. By the way, if I may just say this as a side, talk about an evidence of God at work. Is that not an evidence of power? You know, we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. When we talk about the Holy Spirit work in people's lives, this is all freebie on the side. When we talk about the Holy Spirit's work in people's lives, transforming people, is this not a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in transforming someone? Paul says to Onesimus, seemingly, well, you really need to go back to Philemon. This needs to be made right. But Paul, wait a second. If I go back to Philemon, he's going to kill me. Yep, maybe. Maybe. But you don't know what God has in store. And I can almost hear Paul saying, if I live, it's for Christ, and if I die, it's for, it's for Christ. He said it both sides, didn't he? If I live, it's for Christ, and if, if I die, it's for Christ. So therefore, whether I live or die, it's for Christ. Can you hear Paul saying that? Since he said that to the Corinthians? Yeah, you can hear Paul saying that, right? What's more important, or another way to put it, what's more important, your life or the glory of Jesus Christ? And so, Onesimus says, when I'm released, I'll go back to Philemon. Even if I die, I'm going to go back and make things right. And Paul says, I'm going to send a letter along with you to give to Philemon. And, you know, he's going to do what he's going to do. I'm going to try to encourage him to do what's right. And the same spirit that's at work in you, Onesimus, is at work in Philemon as well. And I'm confident that the spirit is at work because I've seen it, I know it. So that's, that's the whole storyline of the, of the book of Philemon. It is interesting, by the way, another freebie, another aside. Did you catch the one person that's mentioned at the end of the book of Philemon? Again, freebie. Did you catch one name at the end? that should jump off the page at you? Who? Demas shows up, doesn't he? Again, just a freebie. What does it say? Verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends his greeting to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. And then what does he say next? My co- or my fellow workers. That included Demas. Why is that so important? Because we find out in 2 Timothy 4 that Demas left Paul because he loved the present world. Which, by the way, ought to catch our attention. Especially in light of Onesimus going back. Because he doesn't know what he's going to find, right? People, people walk with Christ for a while, don't they? And they walk away. And they evidence who they really are. And that's what Demas did. He was actually a fellow worker with Paul and turned his back on the Gospel. We're in the book of Philemon. So that's an interesting side note, sidebar. Let's jump into the verses 4-7, through seven, our discussion on, 
on Paul's description of his prayer and the reason for his prayer that he gives. He starts out, once again, as we've seen in other of Paul's prayers, verse 4, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. What do you, when, you, when you see verse 4, if we can just dialogue just a little bit, what sounds familiar to you in that text? Just verse 4. There's one word that's, that's intriguing. Always. We've seen that before, haven't we? We don't want to spend too much time on it because we've seen it in the other two passages we've looked at. There's, there's, for Paul, he finds himself always when he remembers, like, and the picture is, when, when Philemon comes to his mind, he is drawn to deep and abiding thankfulness, inevitably. Does that make sense? He thinks about Philemon, and he doesn't think about the way we normally think about people. Let me give you an example. If you think about me, you could possibly think about me in a variety of ways naturally, right? You could think about me as a pastor, married to Ruth, like to run, like to kayak, like the outdoors. Maybe, if you read my Facebook page, you know I like silly jokes. You know, I also like deep theological thoughts. There's all sorts of things you can, you can say about me if, that are natural to think about because I exhibit those things regularly, don't I? Does that make sense? But in itself, none of those are, are causes, are they, to thank the Lord. They're not thoughts that would bring you to deep and abiding prayer, are they? Unless you're praying that I'm safe when I go kayaking and running. But those aren't reasons, are they? But for some reason with Paul, whether we're back in, in the other passages we looked at, or whether we're here, you find him, when he thinks about either the church, these other churches, or when he thinks about a person, such as Philemon, you find him, when he remembers him, he is brought to deep and abiding thanksgiving, isn't he? Deep and abiding thankfulness. In other words, when he thinks about Philemon, his thoughts are, if I may sum it up, his thoughts when he thinks about Philemon are very non-Philemon-centered thoughts. That's kind of intriguing. In other words, what I mean by that, when he thinks about Philemon, what pops into his mind inevitably and quickly almost immediately, if not immediately, is the exhibition of Christ in him. Does that make sense? When he thinks about Philemon, he finds himself thinking about the exhibit, as it were, front and center, that is Philemon, front and center of the person Philemon, the exhibit of Christ. That's what's there. Now, could I just submit to you? I mean, you see it here, don't you? I thank God, my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus Christ. You hear that? Right there it is. That's verse 5. 
It's intriguing. Isn't it? When Paul thinks of Philemon, he, and he remembers him when he's praying, what is his mind drawn to? Everything he's heard about Philemon's deep and abiding love for Jesus and faith in Jesus. Not his activities, not his property, and he probably had a lot of it. Not his fame, and he may have some because he's rich, most likely. Not the things he enjoys, activity-wise. He is enthralled with Jesus. That is a reason worthy of thankfulness. Does that make sense? I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. So, it's love and faith. It's interesting that he's got them backwards. and I'm not sure exactly why he put them backwards. Love and faith. I don't know if you see that or not. I hear of your love and of the faith you have toward the Lord Jesus. Because obviously we know, according to the teaching of Scripture, what comes first. Faith does, right? We love because He first loved us. And so we are people of faith, and therefore we love because we're recipients of His love. I don't know why. could just be stylistic. Um, but the idea is, I hear of your love and of the faith you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Now the faith is focused only on the Lord Jesus. You don't have faith in the saints. But the love is towards Jesus, the Lord Jesus, and toward all the saints. Now it's intriguing, if, before we get off of that, this is what we know so far, so far about Philemon, don't we? So far, what do we know? He has faith toward the Lord Jesus. His faith is in Christ. Well, that's, that, that's just a shortened, a shortened way of saying his faith is in what Christ has finished on the cross and what He's promised to do and who He is. And His faith, you can put it this way because of the teaching of the rest of the way through the Scriptures, His faith in the Lord Jesus, the faith that He has toward the Lord Jesus, has produced love toward Jesus because He's a recipient of the love from Jesus. And it's echoing out reverberating out, reflecting outward toward all the saints. How significant is his faith in the Lord Jesus and how significant is his love toward all the saints? Well, notice what it says again. Remember, Paul's in prison. He's not going anywhere. What is he hearing? Because I hear of your love. Because I, what? I hear of your love. It's coming to him. From elsewhere. Because I hear of your love and I'm hearing of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, at minimum, could I just say one thing, which I find very intriguing. At least Paul is hearing about Philemon's love for Jesus Christ and toward all the saints and his faith toward the Lord Jesus. 
at least he's hearing it from who? Onesimus, who is an unsaved guy. Until he gets saved. Maybe he didn't say anything about Philemon at all. Most likely he didn't until after he was saved, as I described in the illustration ahead of time. But when finally he confesses to Paul, and Paul says, I know him, suddenly, for Onesimus, the lights go off, don't they? Or go on. The lights go on. Wait a second. Before I was saved, I knew Philemon. He was the best bond servant you could have. Or bond, or bond slave owner, I mean, that you could have. He took care of us. Why he run away? I don't know. We don't know. It's not told. But, you know, when I, before I was saved, I could almost hear Onesimus saying, before I was saved, I thought it was so weird. He always talked about this guy, Jesus. He was always telling everybody about this guy, Jesus. I thought it was the weirdest thing in the world. But he talked about it. It didn't make any sense to me. And it doesn't, right? Because for those who are perishing, what? It's What is it? What is the gospel to those who are perishing? Foolishness. So at that point in time, it was absolute foolishness to Onesimus. But he's saying he kept talking about this guy, Jesus. I thought he's like... He's got a screw loose. For all we know, maybe he ran away because he got tired of hearing all that. Who knows? But he, Anastasius looks at Paul and says, but you know what's really weird? He talked about this guy Jesus and how much he loved people. And he talked about how he died on the cross for them. And as he talked about this love that Jesus had, there's one thing I could say about Philemon, because he loved people. He loved all these other people who talked the same way he did. He gave himself away for those people, and he cared for them, and he loved them, he, he sacrificed for them. Now, it's important that we get this. This is a time of persecution, isn't it? Paul's in prison. It's a time of persecution. One thing we know about Philemon is the persecution didn't stop him. He's doing what? He's loving the saints. That's what it says. What does it mean he's loving the saints? Well, we know what's happening, right? People are losing their homes, their jobs. Their families are being torn apart. And what's Philemon probably doing? Taking those people into his home. Caring for them. Providing for them, perhaps. Sheltering them. Defending them. At personal potential cost to himself. The interesting picture of this man, Philemon, the result is that Paul is just drawn to thank the Lord for him. Continually, every time he remembers him, thank you, Lord, for, your, for his faith in you, and thank you for his love, for the, for the saints, for all the saints. Before we move on beyond 4 and 5, it's appropriate. It's appropriate to stop on that and think about it for a second. Now, we've talked about prayer before. We've talked about what we should be thankful for. But it is interesting how we are thankful for some interesting things, isn't it? 
Now I'm bringing this up again because I'm finding a repeated statement or repetition in the Scriptures, in the, these descriptions of prayers, that thankfulness in the Scriptures, not so far Paul, right? But thankfulness in the Scriptures are centered on this idea of Christ at work, the Holy Spirit at work in people. It's not thankful for food. It's not thankful for, for safety. It's not thankful for health. It's not thankful for you know, this, that, or something else. It's thankful that the Spirit is at work in this person. It's thankfulness that, that Christ is being exhibited in this person. It's thankfulness that this person is full of faith, that this person is exhibiting faith in Christ, that he's not being, to tie it as tightly possible as possible to Philemon, he's not being dissuaded from his faith in you because of the circumstances and situations. He is unwavering. Which is why when Paul writes to Philemon in the book, and he says, listen, I'm sending this guy Onesimus back to me. He's so valuable to me. And I ask you to do what's right. And he says, I, I, I know you will, and you're going to do even more. How does he know that? Because the faith is just percolating in, in Philemon, isn't it? The faith of, of God is just percolating in him. And the love for all the saints is just flowing out of him because he's a recipient of love. Because he recognizes who he is outside of Christ, right? And he recognizes who he is in Christ. Changed, transformed, adopted, and all the rest. And here's Onesimus, who once was a bondservant of Philemon and ran away and is now coming back as a bondservant who is what? A brother. And so Paul says, listen, I know this about you. I've heard it again and again. He may not have only heard it from, from Onesimus. He may have heard it from other people as well, just like we saw in previous books about other churches. And so I know, because the Spirit is at work in you, Philemon, the result is going to be when Onesimus comes back to you, you are going to treat him as a worthy brother. You're going to treat him, if I may steal an Old Testament term, you're going to treat him with covenant loyalty. You are co-inheritors. That's how you're going to treat him. Interesting. Now, obviously, Onesimus is going to go back and the first thing he's going to do is come to Paul and say what? Please forgive me. I sinned against you. And I've returned. I'm willing to take whatever is necessary. I, you know that's coming. But the point is that we find in the, in the prayer, in the description of prayer, that Paul is just filled up with the things that really matter about this person, Onesimus. He's not filled up with the things that don't matter. He's not filled up with what they like and don't like. He's not filled up with what teams are after and what teams are not. He's not filled up with, with their position or their riches or their fame or anything else, he's filled up with what is important, is Christ. Now the challenge, again, for us when it comes to prayer, is to ask ourselves, what moves us to thankfulness? I think it's appropriate to ask the question. What moves us to, to thankfulness?
Are we like this, where we're caught up in Christ? And the, that's the issue. When we're caught up in Christ, we will be like this, right? When I'm caught up with Christ, what I'm going to be most excited about is what? Christ, and therefore, if I see Christ in someone, will I not be most caught up in Christ in them? That's why I say again, as we've said every week, that our theology and what we really believe demonstrates itself by how we pray. What are we caught up with? What are we thankful about? Safety, health, security, whatever it may be. Jesus. It is interesting. He moves off of five and six into, or four and five into six, and it, the prayer discussion he has here changes. The discussion of his prayer changes from thankfulness to a request, a request to God. He describes a, a, a prayer request he has for for Philemon, verse six, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. A couple of things we can kind of pull out of verse 6. First, we could say, when he says, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective, is he not, as we've said in previous messages, is he not praying in accordance with what God has revealed in the Scriptures? Is he not? Has he not promised that his word will not return unto him void? Has he not promised that all that the Father gives him, he loses none? Has he also been really clear that he uses means? Correct? And the means is the word proclaimed. Correct? That's what he uses. So the prayer here is, interestingly enough, it is, that it will become effective. What? His sharing of the faith will become effective. That the Spirit will use it as He has promised to do so. That doesn't mean that with every person that Philemon talks to, that the person will be saved. That's not what it's talking about. But as God so fit sees fit, Paul is praying that Philemon's ministry will have effect as God deems effectiveness. Now, one of the things that I also find interesting in the text is this. He says, or let me change that, he doesn't say, and I pray that you will share your faith. Does he? You know what it says? Yes! Yes, he's, he's not saying, I pray that you will share your faith. He's saying, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. With full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. The implication of the text is what? Paul is working off of what he's already heard. Verse 5, Because I hear of your love and the faith you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. So, one of the things Paul knows already about Philemon is what? He's ministering. He's doing what? He's sharing... The gospel, he's sharing the faith. Now, some would say, wait a second, no, it says for all the saints in verse 5. Yes, well, the gospel's for the saints too, isn't it? It absolutely is. Feel better, Jim? <laughs> I couldn't pass it up, Jim. 
the, the presumption of Paul in verse 6 is that Philemon is sharing the faith. Well, I would argue he's not just presuming it because he's heard about it. More primarily, he's assuming it for a very important reason. And the reason is because those who are really in Christ do what? They share the faith. Those who, are true, who truly have the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are people who, because they have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they share the faith. So, on the one hand, he has evidence, at least hearsay evidence, that Philemon is doing this. On the other hand, he also knows, and the Scriptures teach it very clearly, for example, what does Paul say? Because I know, or because of the, of the I'm sorry, let me, let me start over again. I started, I started messing up the two quotes in 2 Corinthians. He says, the love of Christ, what? Controls me, Right? The love of Christ controls me. Is that only Paul? No. Third, in, in, I'm sorry, in 1 John, John says the same thing in a different way. We've quoted it before many times here. We love because He first loved us. It doesn't say we may love. It doesn't say we should love. It doesn't say we must love. It's not a command. It's a statement of reality. We love because He first loved us. It's these type of things that I see in the Scriptures is why I am not a pastor who is always saying to people, guys, ladies, we need to tell the Gospel to people. You need to tell the Gospel to, 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 to your neighbors. You need to tell your gospel, the Gospel to your, your, your loved ones and your friends and your co-workers and, and even the other believers. I'm not one who who gets up all the time and says that. Why? Because I am absolutely convinced if I'm a recipient of God's love, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to love. I'm going to love. If I am a recipient, if the love of Christ is shining on me, I will reflect it. Not perfectly, but I will reflect it. I will. I think that's the argument of the Scriptures. Do we need to be exhorted? Yes, but exhorted with what we're already doing. We're already responding. And that's what we find in, in Philemon. He knows that the truth of the Scripture is the truth of the Scripture. The love of Christ is controlling Philemon, just like it controlled Paul. And so Paul's prayer for Philemon is not that he would share his faith, I pray that the sharing of your faith will become effective. That it will become effective. Where? Well, he says, for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So we can say this, that, that Paul is praying that his ministry of presenting the faith would be effective wherever he Proclaims it. Ministers it. Well, where should he be ministering it to? I would present it to you that Philemon is ministering it where? Well, evidently, I would argue he's ministering it to Onesimus. And I would also argue clearly in the text, he's ministering the faith of Christ toward Christ where? To all the saints. Verse 5. 
He is not, he's not missing opportunity to minister to other believers. He's on a hunt for that. Why? Because he's a recipient of God's love. So he's looking for the opportunities to minister to other believers, and he's looking for opportunities because he's driven by the love of Christ to minister to unsaved people. And notice what it says here again, verse 6. And I pray that the share of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. What is he saying? As you minister, I'm praying that you are effective in presenting it as clearly and completely as you possibly can. I'm praying that it's no holds, bar- no holds barred. That it's clear and complete. And it's presenting everything that is good in us. Well, what is good in us? Christ. Right? Otherwise, there's no good in us. Christ, when he says that it will be effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ, it's as if he's saying, I'm praying for you that in your ministry that you are already involved in because you're a recipient of God's love, Christ's love, that your ministry will be full of knowledge of what is good in you, Christ, for the sake of Christ. That's in effect what he's saying. That your ministry, your communication to other people saved and lost will front and center be Christ. Could I just stop on this for a second and say to you, I need that prayer? I desperately need people to pray for me that way. I don't need you to pray that I... Most of you don't know this, but I got scratched by a raccoon this week. I'm getting the tetanus or the uh, rabies shots now. I don't need you to pray that I don't get rabies. I don't need you to pray that way. That's why I didn't send out a prayer thing. I need, I need you to pray that God will give me some opportunities. I go to the hospital get my shots every three days for this week. That'll have an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. And, and the only good that's in me, for Christ's sake. I don't need you to pray for safety when I run. I need you to pray that my running will be an opportunity to show the full beauty and the full goodness, the fullness of the goodness that is Christ for his sake. That's what I need. You realize that? That's what you guys need too. That's what we need to be praying for one another. It's a beautiful prayer, isn't it? I find it so much more amazing and beautiful. And then I I need prayer that I'll minister to believers as well, not just the lost, but that I'll minister to believers with full knowledge of what is good. It is amazing. If you if we slow down and think about it for a little bit, it is actually quite stunning how much time we'll talk to other believers about everything but Jesus. Isn't that amazing? We'll sit around, we'll talk, whether it's friends, loved ones, acquaintances, church members, whatever. It's amazing how we will talk about everything under the sun. We're going to talk about Jesus. Why is that? It's interesting, isn't it? Why is that? We know the reason why. It's because... 
On one level, we still struggle, but on another level, Christ isn't all in all. That's the reason why. That's why we need the gospel, right? That's why I need you to speak the gospel into my life. That's why you, you need me and others to speak the gospel into your life. We need to be reminded of the beauty that is the only beauty. Correct? The only beauty. It is Christ. Period. Verse 7, he says, as he gives some background to why he prays the way he does, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love. So obviously Philemon received love from, I'm sorry, Paul received love from Philemon as well, didn't he? And he found the love of Christ pouring from Philemon to be something that provided for him much joy and much comfort. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. He's one of the saints, so he's received joy and comfort, and then he's receiving joy and comfort. Why? Because he hears of other saints. And this is why I say it's not just he's hearing it from Onesimus. He's heard from other saints as well. Because he's hearing it, it says here in verse 7, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. That's what he's heard. What a prayer. And what a challenge at the same time, is it not? Can I just, again, here's another challenge. Several, actually. They're, they're, they're secondary challenges until I get to the first challenge and the most important primary challenge. And these all should not be new. But number one, are you a person? Am I a person? I'm just becoming really practical here. Are you a person? Am I a person who is presenting the faith we have? Are you? Am I? And I'm going to give two categories lost and saved. Are you someone, when it comes to lost people, are you someone who is presenting that? And what, now, don't miss what I'm trying to say. Are you someone who's doing that because you are enthralled with Jesus? Because you're caught up with Jesus? This is not a law thing. Well, God says you've got to do it, so you better get out and do it. I'm talking about you are enthralled with Jesus. Jesus is all in all in a growing way. In a growing way, you're recognizing and reveling in the reality that all things are from Him, through Him, to Him, to Him be glory forever. Amen. How could I but talk about Jesus to lost people? Because they are so missing out. And they were saved people. Are you someone whose same thing is just enthralled with Jesus and you find it's flowing out of your mouth? toward believers. Maybe it's what you've read in the Scriptures and learned, we're reminded of. Or maybe it's something you've known for a long, long time, but you've been so blessed by it that you just want to be a blessing to other people and point them to Jesus again. Or another secondary one, verse 7. 
can I just ask you real quickly, would you be someone who would be described as a person who is refreshing to other people's souls? I'm not talking about being refreshing because you're an optimist versus a pessimist. A lot of those out there. A lot of pessimists, too. No. You're refreshing to souls because of what he's talking about here. You are bringing much joy and comfort through your love, and the way you bring the love is by reminding people of the true lover. The lover of their souls. And then, most importantly, and I'm going to wrap it up with this, most importantly, we need to ask ourselves, is Jesus really truly my joy? Is Jesus really my joy? And my hope? And my faith? Is he really? And I ask the question not because I doubt. I ask the question because I think it needs to be asked by all of us or to all of us. Another way to put that is, is my life lived for the sake of Christ? To take it out of verse 6. The answer to all this again, is not to say, I've got to start talking. I've got to start talking to people about Jesus, about the faith that I have in Jesus. That's not the answer. It just isn't. I know that sounds really counterintuitive. It is not the answer. The answer is not, I need to, I need to know more about Jesus so I can have something to say. That's not the answer either. The answer is not, I've got to change the way I live so that people find me refreshing and good for their souls. No, that's not the answer either. Because ultimately, if we find ourselves in a situation where we look at, at, at the description of Philemon in the text and the prayer Paul has for Philemon, and we start to think, I wonder if Paul would pray that way for me. Because I think that's appropriate to ask. I wonder if Paul was alive on this planet today and he knew me, I wonder if he'd pray that way for me. I wonder if on the other side he'd talk about me more like as a hidden reef in the love feasts. Or if he'd more write a letter to me with regard to me with regard to like 1st and 2nd Corinthians or Galatians. <laughs> See, the answer to this dilemma, if, if we don't see ourselves, when we think about ourselves honestly, if we don't see ourselves like in some way loving Jesus like we see here in the text, the answer is, 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 is not rocket science. The answer is we need to repent and, and what? And believe. That's the answer. We need to repent and believe. 
and turn back to Jesus? The answer is we need to fellowship with Jesus. We need to pray. As Paul prayed, open the eyes of my heart. That I will see you. That I will know you. We need to pray like, like Jesus prayed in, in John 17. When he said, God, I pray that they will know you in the most intimate way possible and the Son who you sent in the most intimate way possible. God, help me to know you and the Father in the most intimate way possible. Open my eyes. Help me to see. Change my heart. And then, if we have any task to do at all, it's to what? Seek him while he may be found. Correct? And seek him with all your heart. Crying out for transformation. Crying out for the Spirit to work. I'm absolutely convinced, friends, that when we do, you know what's going to become evident? The faith we have for Jesus. That'll become evident. And we will minister Christ for Christ's glory to save people and unsaved people. And we will find our relationships that don't involve Christ to be inherently and growingly unsatisfying. Revolting even. Because we just want intimacy with the love of our souls. And that's what we need. Isn't it? There's not a whole lot of things needful for humans. Certainly don't need food, especially not here in America for a while. We certainly don't need health. I know that sounds bizarre, but we don't need health. Because we're all going to die. I'm not saying we should be stupid. I'm just saying we don't need health. You know how I know that? Paul said, whether I have it or don't, I've learned the secret of contentment, right? We don't need riches. Don't need fame. Don't need respect. Don't need our sports teams to win. We don't need the pay raise. We don't need the, we don't need the uh, promotion. We don't need to be loved. We're already loved. Aren't we? You know what we need? We need Christ. That's all we need. Some would say that doesn't that doesn't make sense in the real world. And I'm reminded Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. This world is not our own, right? We are pilgrims, we are sojourners. We are travelers. And we are bound for a different place. That's a much better place than this one. Let us seek Christ while he may be found. Amen? Let's pray for one another that we will see Christ and that we will know Christ and that we will enjoy Christ and that we will actually be satisfied
with Christ. I've said it before, but I, I appreciate C.S. Lewis's quote, and I'll close on this one. C.S. Lewis said, the one who has Christ in everything has nothing more than the one who has Christ in nothing. I've always appreciated that statement. The one who has Christ in everything has nothing more than the one who has Christ in nothing. If we have Christ, we have everything. And I think it's really important that we, and I know that that sounds so crazy to the natural mind and the natural ear. But to the one who is saved, Christ is either in all or all in all or he's nothing. So let us seek him together while he may be found. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, help us. There are many things we could ask for. There's many things we could pray about. But there are very few needful things. Even Paul, when he was in prison, said, I'm not in need of anything because he had Christ. And so, Lord, I pray you'll help us change our hearts so that our longing would not be for anything other than you. And help us in all the intricacies of our lives that we will be reminded again and again by you, by your Spirit in us, that all those things exist for your glory, for your praise, for your honor, for your fame. And so we ask that you would do what you promised to do, that your, that your love will flow to us and that your kingdom will come and abide in us. And that our lives would hallow your name. Help us not to be like Demas, who looked for a while like he was a, a child of the king, but evidence clearly that he was not. Help us not to be like Diotrephes, an elder who rejected you. Help us to be people who drink deeply at the fountain of living water and keep on drinking by your Spirit's work. That we will eat of the bread of life and keep eating by your Spirit's work. And that our hearts will be transformed and that we become more and more enthralled with the only one that matters. So glorify yourself, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen.